Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Casual Cognition. Hank and I are back to basics in this one with our typical three-topic structure. We're talking today about game theory and the dueling mindsets of abundance and scarcity. So, thank you for joining us. We love you, and we hope you enjoy the show. And we there we go. As well. The ultimate Man. wacky setup. This is this is the most most jerry rigged. I know it's jury rigged, but I like to call it jerry rigged, and this is the most jerry rigged setup we've got so far, for sure. I think so. <laughs> but uh yeah, we're trying to we're trying to get all this shit worked out with the, the video, but we can't figure out some of our tech yeah it's it's a little we're not gonna get it we're not gonna get into the technical details for your folks because that's uh that's what we're all about on casual cognition you know we're we're keeping all that in the background you don't have to worry about it we just bring you the <laughs> sweet delicious asmr i mean i podcast. do my best <laughs> Oh man. So all of that aside, we got a doozy yet again. It's like, come on. Yeah, it's been a little when while since uh, you and I actually <laughs> recorded a you and me episode, so I'm excited. Uh we've been we've been doing a yeah, lot of guest too. episodes and stuff. And um you know, we've been holding back on the uh the classic casual cognition bread and butter. That is the uh, the three topic slammer. So we've got oh yeah, dude, we've got one for you today. Finally, I mean, I guess I guess for our for our listeners, it hasn't been that long. I guess I guess yeah, we've been putting out some more like guest episodes than usual recently, right? Yeah. But yeah, we actually you and I haven't recorded in like two it's been like two weeks or something so it's good to be back back on the show for our for our regular gig yeah. you know feels good feels right yeah it feels but right. of course it's always it's always fun to have some some uh some guests on you know get some some fresh points of view and experiential stuff to infuse the cast with yeah, and this is an episode that um, I wanted to get into because it's one of those things that we've talked about a lot on the cast um, in sort of ancillary ways, and um, we've we've brought it up a lot, but we haven't addressed it quite so directly, and. You guys are just going to have to, the listeners are just going to have to forgive us if we ever repeat things because that's just what happens whenever you uh, talk about things for hours and hours and hours and hours. But, you know, one thing that Hank and I have noticed over the years is also that whenever you talk about things through different angles and in different contexts and in different times in your life, it, it takes on a different flavor. So even if it's... um 
something we're repeating, it will be very different. But this isn't, I, I don't think that we're repeating so much uh, as far as the topic goes. It's just something that is so closely related to so much that we've talked about. It, uh, it seems to you and me, Hank, that like we're repeating ourselves. But um, we're talking about scarcity versus abundance to begin with. And the sort of difficulties, the psychological wackiness that comes out of this. And I think that it really, it, it's, it's incredibly pervasive in modern society. And it's become a, a defining trait of our modern human psychology is well, really um, what I mean by that is that the scarcity mindset has rather than abundance and i i think that there used to be more of an abundance mindset but we'll get into that later um but i think that we are perpetually and maybe even habitually geared into this mindset of scarcity and there's not enough and that also gets into if somebody else gets something, I'm getting less. And we'll get into that more, a sort of zero-sum mindset. But, Hank, you got anything to uh, introduce this topic with? Yeah, so I, I think it's always good to take a step back and start as if, like, who we are speaking to has no idea what the fuck we're talking about because... I think he it's does. possible. I think, uh, I don't, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, so this is, this is something that Nate and I have, have discussed at length in various contexts. I don't, we've mentioned it here and there on the podcast, but for those of you who are not aware of this idea, um, you know, like you, it's it's essentially has to do with the ways in which we view the environment and kind of the lens through which we perceive reality in a sense like it's a huge huge part of of our experience in general um and so you you have this dichotomy between scarcity which is like you kind of mentioned Nate like oh there's not enough that's there, there's there's always a lack right there's oh i don't have enough money i don't have enough food i don't have enough time uh i don't have enough skills i don't have enough friends whatever right whereas abundance is the opposite of that is oh i have more than enough I have everything I need, right? Or it, at the very least, there is more than enough available. Maybe I think yeah. that there's a room in the abundance mindset for maybe I don't have everything that I need right now, but what I need is readily available. And it is um, within my grasp rather than the idea of scarcity, which once again you can think of is like, Oh, I have everything that I need right now or more than I need, but that will be that could be gone tomorrow and then I won't have what I need. 
So oftentimes the scarcity and abundance mindset, they they have both to do with kind of your attitude of what you have right now and what you may have in the future. So I, I think this might just be like a semantic thing, but for me, like somebody who is in abundance is pretty much and this maybe has to do with your definition of what your needs are, but somebody in abundance is essentially like has their needs met most of the time. Um, and they're aware of that. And of course we can't always have all of our needs met. Right. But there's, I think there is a, like these, the, like the people who are in abundance, they they have everything they need well my and point being like that's what a, like if you're if you're ahead. in the abundance mindset and you're hungry th- there's not a worry of you being able to fulfill that hunger or yeah is it, 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 and, and so like uh, the idea is like um what i need i have everything that i need within my reach so like my belly might not be full right now, but I can fill it up. It's I'm not worried yeah. about that. So Yeah, exactly. And then the scarcity mindset is my belly is full right now, but it may not be tomorrow. Right. So that was the only difference. And I, th- and I, I think highlighting there. Yeah, and and I think there there is another difference too where like those in scarcity, they tend to not even recognize when their needs are met yeah like you know they're they're not gonna be like oh my belly's full right now right <laughs> like they're, they're just like oh i might not have food tomorrow and and they're completely not even like recognizing the fact that like oh my needs are met right now i'm actually safe and i'm totally i'm chilling right and i think that, so there is there is some some interesting little things there and of course you know there's it's 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 different for all of us and we we all kind of at least for myself I I notice I kind of oscillate between these depending on the context and depending on um you know my blood sugar levels <laughs> and d- different factors like that right like um how much I've exercised and and you know one of the main ones that we've that we've found is actually and this is something we've mentioned on the podcast before i believe but actually like gratitude practicing gratitude like that is like that is the the substrate of abundance yeah basically like recognizing the things that we have and and that's basically what it is like if, if i were to try to boil it down it's like somebody who is in abundance is focusing on what they have and they're grateful for what they have whereas somebody in scarcity is focusing on what they don't have or what they might not have yeah, what right they might lose and i think yeah exactly uh so i think that's kind of like the fundamental difference between the two states and it's really interesting because i mean dude we could make so many different connections there's a lot of connections these in this states one. So the first thing that just popped into my mind immediately was 
this is basically it's super super related to our nervous system and we've talked about this before we have the um the parasympathetic nervous system which is like rest and digest mode that's the mode where yeah you're eating you're resting you're socializing you are recovering uh and then there's the sympathetic nervous system which is fight or flight mode right and like that's basically that's basically it that's the difference between uh scarcity and abundance like that, that you know that's one of the lenses that we can that we can view it through actually yes and i think that like you said this this particular thing it, it can it's very pervasive in our society and um I was saying earlier that I think it's one of the defining characteristics of our society, of our modern society, is the idea of, or the, um, the attitude of scarcity. And, I mean, I, 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 if, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard me and probably Hank harp on about retirement and how weird and often ridiculous of a concept it is. And... Retirement to me is one of those perfect examples of the attitude of scarcity. It's the attitude of you need to work really hard for a long period of time because there will be there will come a time in your future where you're old and you're incapable of generating the wealth you need to survive and maintain your lifestyle. So you need to work extra hard and save extra money to coast out this 20 30 years at the end of your life that you will be where incapable you finally and yeah, that where time you can finally do nothing yeah and and the, that's like, what? And that's the that's like the carrot on the stick it, like there's there's a double-sided thing to retirement there's the fear that oh you're going to go broke in retirement and then you're going to be a 75 year old helpless on the streets and not be able to provide for yourself and then there's like this this big 900 pound elephant in the room gorilla in the room that nobody addresses like wouldn't you just die then and it wouldn't matter and nobody wants to talk about that particular aspect of it but then there's the carrot on the stick side of it where it's like Oh, if you do this thing, if you actually do save for your retirement and make it through the scarcity period with plenty of money to coast on, then you get to fulfill all your dreams that you had all your life of travel and fun and play and relaxation forever. And of course, then you can it's all finally nonsense. live. Just like when you're decrepit and you like, yeah, it's so it's so funny, like how I like there's such irony in that where it's like on one hand, you're going to be so old and decrepit that you can't provide for yourself at all. But this is the time where you get to finally have fun. And it's like, wait, what? It's so it's so backwards. It's really, really strange. Yeah. Uh, and, And then there's also the like thing where 
it's like oh and then or or not even like oh you can finally do all the stuff that you wanted to do it's like oh you can finally just relax and do nothing yeah dude how long are you gonna do that before you fucking hate your life like nobody wants to just do nothing not to mention as much as we think that as much as we like think that or tell ourselves that it's like if you if you've actually just done i mean and what is doing nothing right but if you've actually just like basically sat around for a couple of weeks without any goals or structure or like you just you get bored dude yeah you you like you you want to you need we need meaning we need to contribute we need to feel valued and you know like it's just it's just so unrealistic yeah and that's actually um i'm gonna go off on a little bit of a tangent here but um whenever you look at retired people i don't know have you spent time around like a grandparent or something like that or a close older person like a great aunt or uncle or something like that and hang around them whenever they're in retirement or in in oh yeah especially in like the later stages of their life you know in their 80s they yes they seem like the busiest people in the world like they can't sit still half the time Uh, and they're constantly to me they're always talking about like yeah i've got to do this and i've got to get this done and yeah i've still got to sort through all these things and a lot of times it's like whenever you hear the the concept of like putting your affairs in order in the movies a lot of times it's referring to this kind of thing where they have all this shit that they've accumulated all these records all these like perceived nice things and they feel that they have to like organize all of this and figure out where it goes and you know death staring at them in the face and they're like what's gonna happen to all my shit whenever I'm gone and so oftentimes you meet retired people and they seem incredibly busy and like oftentimes like stressed out about how much shit they have to do and I'm like what do you mean you have shit to do you literally worked your whole life to to get to this point to not have shit to do and now you're you're busier than ever trying to deal with all the shit that you've done and yeah and it's like (laughs) dude that's how life works yeah you got shit to do. Like it doesn't go away. You just <laughs> like my my grandmother. God bless her. She is, um, she's like haggard with how much shit she has to do. And now it's it's a little different <laughs> with her because she, um, my grandfather had a stroke, and so he needs like extra help. And now he's in a nice care facility, but I mean they they had a lot of money going into this thing and you know she's comfortable with with how much money they have and he's in a very high-end care facility but even with all that she is constantly dealing with stuff um and it, it blows my mind whenever i talk to her on the phone it, it sounds like somebody who is who's like in some kind of like like war zone almost it should be like hi honey how are you how you doing yeah yeah i'm i'm doing pretty good i'm hanging in there you know she's like really like just gripping trying to hang on a lot of times yeah 
And and just to just to quickly on. interject here, just to connect it back, like that sound, that tone, that like war zone feeling, like that is the stress coming through. That is yeah. the like her sympathetic nervous system is just on. Yeah all the fucking time yeah. right and i can think of a, many examples of people that i know i mean i could go through the same shit with with some of my loved ones yeah it's the same kind of thing so yeah and continue no in this that i'm glad you brought it back because that is that's the scarcity mindset that, that and she talks yeah. a lot about how you know even though they have a lot of money she's worried about how long this particular amount of money is going to last she's worried about where this particular chunk of money is going to go after they're gone. She's had talks with me about how, you know, how much thought and, like, stress has gone through her mind over what assets go where in inheritance for her children. And, yeah, you know, it's it breaks my heart, and I try to talk to her a good bit and try to, like, I've got. I've been trying to get her into like Audible and stuff like that and podcasts. Like, Grandma, you need a little something to chill out because her her idea of chilling out is like, yes, I'm going to watch a video sermon on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, it's like she is she is a, a, a an incredibly energetic and productive woman, but I've been trying to encourage her to like get back to painting. She's an incredible painter, and and just like actually doing that stuff that retirement is purported to be about but she can barely allow herself to sit still and mm. you know this is this is how this um this scarcity versus abundance mindset kind of sneaks up on us throughout the years you know we just we're constantly like you said in that sympathetic nervous system mindset and we're constantly feeling like what we have isn't enough and what we will have tomorrow won't be enough and if we won't if we don't get it we're going to be fucked and there's this as we were talking about in a, in a uh, the other day in a past episode you know there's this dark space that we're all afraid to go into and sometimes it's a creative space sometimes it's a space where we don't have as much as we have now and we don't know what we're going to do without this or that thing. And it's a scary thing, but when you really break down what you actually what you actually need, it's not nearly as much as we think it is. Yeah, it's and it's really interesting, you know, I like your that that conception of like the dark void that surrounds any activity that you uh or like or yeah like mindset yeah i guess like yeah i mean environment it goes into a lot of yeah. different things it's a good metaphor yeah it's not just it's not just activity but it's like yeah future events things like that that and and it's basically what i realized is it's it's uncertainty mm -hmm. right and you know this this dichotomy of scarcity and abundance it really affects the way that we interact with uncertainty right yeah. because when we're in abundance 
when we are faced with uncertainty, we see all that we can gain. Yeah. We see opportunity. And we're not and we worried see about learning loss. potential. And we see, yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, maybe we're, you know, it's, it's also, it's not just, it's not like c- completely just being naive, right? Like yeah. we can still be aware of the potential for loss, but like, that's not the focus. You're not that stressed is the, out about loss. You're aware of the potential yeah. for loss, but the idea of loss itself doesn't freak you out because you know, it's not, it's not, you're not losing everything. You know, you're still going to be in that place of abundance, even if you do lose. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting, interesting, um, idea here. And yeah, actually I feel like we have, we must have we must have talked about this before because I I'm making the connection between there's that study with the rats where they like starved a population of rat of rats did did we I don't know if we brought that up on the cast on the podcast I think you and I talked about it oh, by myself but or by ourselves oh man if we ha- if, okay, I'm gonna save I'm gonna save that one for when we hit ancestral lifestyle because okay. that is like just. Well, I've got one I, I more. I could have swore we've talked about it before, but maybe not. Well, you know how these things bleed together, um, and as yeah. I as I said in the beginning of the episode, if we repeat ourselves, you're welcome because this is good shit. <laughs> <laughs> um. But no, there was another thing that I wanted to mention in this segment here about like the zero sum game, which gets um, very close into the abundance versus scarcity mindset and uh, leads into some of our next stuff. Um, So whenever I don't know if you listeners have ever heard the term zero sum game, but whenever somebody says that what they're referring to is the concept in its simplest terms that if that there is a finite amount of um, stuff that you need as a human being that is available and that stuff can can take the form of many different things but in essence it's whatever the stuff is there's a finite amount of it and the idea behind the zero-sum game is that if someone else gets a chunk of that stuff, there is less stuff available for you as a person. So this is, uh, as I said, very closely tied to this uh, idea of scarcity. And um, it's it actually, I don't want to get too political here, but I actually think that it is very tied into modern politics as well and um, I actually think that it is especially tied into um, the sort of class politics of things like social safety nets so if you have the idea in your head that if a social program is there oh excuse me if there's a social program there that is designed to um, help people who make under twenty thousand dollars a year, 
and it is designed to um, try and ease people people's passage from that extreme low income level uh, and this is uh, in America so you know I'm, I'm using numbers here to a, a more middle class income the idea is that if you're already on a middle class income that program is directly harmful to you because it is giving these people who are at a lesser income level, at a lesser lesser uh, economic class level, a piece of that stuff. In this case, it's economic um, power, um, basically money, but it comes comes in the form of a lot of different things, you know, food stamps and things. So it's mm. giving them economic security, and the uh, the zero sum game mindset, the scarcity mindset, says that giving them that that chunk of change is taking away from you and that is uh, leaving less for you and that's when it gets a little tricky because in modern economics there's something to be said about how the the systems work in place and that's why I wanted to bring this up because, um, and I know we're running over time on this topic a little bit, but I think it gets into the next, uh, the next topic pretty well. We've set up a society and a, an economic structure, a culture that perpetuates the idea of scarcity and actually solidifies it into a much more concrete way than actually exists in reality and what i mean by that is for example we set a value on a specific type of food say it's beef or vegetables or, you know lettuce or broccoli <laughs> a specific food vegetables <laughs> yeah say it's lettuce or broccoli so um if you looked at how much uh, American restaurants throw away of, of these things or, or just households throw away of these things, you'd realize that they're, you know, the value of them is actually kind of out of whack because we just we waste shitloads of it. And there's, mm. uh, there's like various things in place that, that make it to where it's very difficult to, to spread the food around more readily so food a a need we produce way more food than every person in america either produce or import way more food than every person in america would ever need and yet we through the economic system that we've set up and through the cultural system we've set up we have created an artificial scarcity that requires economic power to purchase this food so we have enough food we have an abundance of food in america and yet thousands of people every single day if not tens of thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people go hungry every single day in america so we have a a system a a game that we're playing per se where 
we're saying that this food is actually worth a lot more than it actually is because we have shitloads more than, than than we need but you need to pay more than it's worth to me in order to eat it so i just wanted to bring that little example up of how we we have built an artificial scarcity in our society that that makes it real in a way regardless of your attitude towards it yeah well it's funny that you bring up zero-sum game i'm not sure because you said that it connects pretty well to the next thing but like it's couldn't connect more well like zero-sum <laughs> game is literally a term that comes from game theory it's a type of game yes uh so i was alluding to I'm this gonna, way to just yeah, beat me so, over the head with a ham yeah so okay i'm gonna just start off by just taking a step back here we're talking game theory yeah folks so for those of you who are unaware of game theory uh it's not like i mean it's like related to video games it can be but it's it's a it's a wider scope so like a, a game in the context of game theory is basically any interaction between people where the payoff is affected by the player's decisions so like obviously a video game is an example of that but so is a uh i'll start with the more obvious examples like a poker game or a competitive uh, sports game, um, social interactions, business dealings. Um, I mean, basically, basically just interacting with people in general. It like in this in this conception, it, it's a game in a sense. So we're looking at the interaction between people and and how the payoff is affected by everyone's decisions. So, Nate, you kind of uh, brought to light this idea of, of the zero-sum game. So this is, this game, it's, it's a subset of one of the two types of games, uh, and which is it's a competitive game so in in game theory like there's two types of games we have cooperative games and competitive games right so in a cooperative game we are all or all of the players are working together to create the best possible outcome for everyone and then when in a competitive game it's like every 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 person for themselves or each team for themselves right and they're just trying to get the best possible outcome for themselves. And like you mentioned, like a zero sum game is it's like a poker game. Like there at the end of the day all gains and losses add up to zero. So like if I win, you lose, right? Yes. And vice versa. And 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 I win by as much as you lose by. And like to say that that's how economics works is just a disgusting oversimplification of 
of our society and our culture and our our systems it's just completely grossly oversimplified to say that that's how it works because i mean at the end of the day it's like we we are part of a super organism right and so and and i think you know this this it's really interesting because this is also related to scarcity and abundance like i i truly believe that people who are in abundance perceive the games that we're playing more as cooperative games whereas the scarcity mindset is perceiving these games as competitive and the thing that's cool with game theory is it I think it's really, really fascinating. Like it's, it's basically a, it's a scientific framework for decision making depending on what game we're playing. So first, first of all, it takes this like awareness of, oh, what game am I playing? Yeah, it's like a meta analysis of the rules that you're living your life by. Exactly, and then, and it's, it's interesting because. You know, life is a little more complicated than a lot of these games are. Um, You know, they have, like, very specific uh, ideas that make them work. But still, even if you just kind of take it as an an abstract and you learn the principles of of game theory, I think we can all learn a lot from this and become better and more rational decision makers. I do as well. So... So I wanted to bring up a couple like we don't really have time to go deep on game theory because it goes deep and like it goes into some serious math and you know there's equations to figure out the optimal solution for don't have many time or don't have the uh, proper knowledge and expertise uh, both <laughs> both for sure. Yeah, you could do a whole. You could probably well, do a whole podcast, and somebody probably already has done it on just this topic. Dude, easily you could you could do an entire. You could not even like a podcast episode. Like you could literally yeah do, do an, an entire a podcast, podcast on just the game forever, <laughs> forever. Like there's it goes. It's one of those things, right? But so before I get into some of the examples, I just wanted to mention that it's actually like really similar to um it's it's like a glass bead game tool actually and for those for those who don't know i I feel like i've said that too many times no you haven't for those of you mentioned it again i'm just making sure that like the the one person who just like starts with this episode is just totally caught up with (laughs) with where the glass bead game is one of our main themes i feel like we can we can um pontificate upon that whenever we want yeah for sure and so it's basically it's basically a way of like viewing and understanding it's it's a cooperative game where we try to view, understand and analyze and and kind of gain insight upon a specific theme by viewing it through the lens of various um, modalities of thought. So 
whether it's like through economics or biology or psychology or whatever, like taking one theme, for example, scarcity and abundance. Yeah, that's kind of what we're and doing we can here. View that. That's yeah. That's basically what we're doing. Like we we've made episodes that are like glass bead game, but like that's basically what we're doing in general. Those are like the ones that are more targeted. And I guess I mean honestly, this is this is a glass bead game. We're doing it. We're literally doing it. Yeah. Um. So. So this is a game theory is a really great tool because it works in so many different fields, right? It, it's used in economics, it's used in biology, psychology, it's used by like military generals, by entrepreneurs, by, I mean, it's, it's, it can, it can be valuable in a lot of different situations. And, uh, you know, like, it's funny that the classic or, okay. I've been fucking rambling on about game theory. Nate, I just want to give you a word in edgewise if you got anything that you want to throw down cuz I could I got I got some interesting stuff we can dive into here, but is there anything that you wanted to uh any to add or touch on? Um well, you know, if I was to simplify a way of describing game theory, I think an easy way to think about what it's describing is Anytime, you know, if you look out in nature, it's just a free-for-all. There's no real game theory going on in nature because it's just whatever happens, happens. If you're a crane fly and you're buzzing along, you're evolved for a certain specific type of thing. And if an invasive species comes along and nabs you... Well, that's, that's just part of the nature game. There's no rules involved in nature. So when we're talking about game theory, oftentimes there are, it's easy to think about like, we're creating a system out of the, the set conditions that we're given and we're ascribing rules to these systems and we're using those rules in combination with the system we're trying to understand in order to attempt to get a certain out outcome from the system that we desire. So that that uh, to me is a way of thinking about game theory. Um, you know, it's it's kind of trying to ascribe order onto the inherent chaos of the uh, the natural world. And humans, it's it's one of those things that kind of sets us apart from things that we create these game, create these rule systems, and we try to um, we try to use systems in order to um, create more desirable outcomes for ourselves by using our own rules that we make up. Yeah, so so in short, like game theory it's like okay. Let's say first of all, what kind of game are we playing? If it's a cooperative game, the point is everybody wins. This is a or framework everybody loses. for figuring out what is fair. How can we get the best possible outcome for everyone? And then if it's a competitive game, it's like how to win how do i win what's the 
what is the way that I can maximize the outcome for myself? And when it comes to, I'll give like one example of each, uh, just so, so people can get an idea. Um, so the first one for the competitive games, this is one that like, this is probably the first example in every single fucking game theory class like ever. And it's, it's the prisoner's dilemma. Have you, do you know this one? The prisoner's dilemma. That's right. Um, I've probably heard of it, but I'm not sure if I recognize the, the name itself. Okay. So it's, it's a relatively straightforward example. And it's one of those things where it's like, this is, this is a helpful example, but it's also not really how it works in real life, but it gives you a general idea. So let's say you have two, um, like two people who have been going around and, uh, they're like serial flash flashers, <laughs> which is a serial huge... flashers. So it's a, in the U S this is a, it will be very strange for, for people in Europe because it's like, I mean, it's pretty weird, but I don't think it's that big of a deal in a lot of places in Europe, but this is like a huge deal in the U S like if you show your genitals to someone, it's called flashing <laughs> and it's a, uh, a big no-no oh it's actually uh, called indecent exposure and you can go to jail that's right so the the uh i had to watch out for that shit taking a piss on the street in new orleans one time yeah so like the layman's term is it's flashing like if you're actually doing it on purpose but yeah so it's indecent exposure right you have these people who are going around wearing trench coats going into malls and such you're allowed to show your butt crack but not spread your cheeks and show your asshole. So showing butt crack is actually not indecent exposure, but if you spread the cheeks and show off the asshole, that can get you in jail. It's very specific, I'm sure, the laws. I'm sure, you've, I'm sure you've spent a lot of time researching that. Yeah, I got to make sure that whenever I, whenever I go streaking, I'm not going to get... If I wear a banana hammock, I'm just kidding. Go on, go on. So here's the deal. They've been caught, okay? And they're, they're like, separated from from the interrogators. And the interrogators are like, all right, we know you've fucking showed your pee-pee to people (laughs) in public. But I'm going to cut you a deal. (laughs) And and they offer they offer a deal. He's streaking for this example. <laughs> this is great. Of all the so, things. So here's the deal. If and I'm I'm not gonna like go through the whole thing, but I'll, I'm just gonna lay out like the the possible outcomes. So the deal is like, Ugh. if if one person rats out the other, if they confess. They get to walk. Right? Yes. If neither of them confess, they'll both get two months 
in in prison. Uh, if they both Crazy. confess, they will get ten months in prison. And if one of them confesses, they will walk free, and the other will get five months in prison. And basically... Wait, I think you said this up wacky. I think it should be if neither of them confesses, but they know they're right and they're guilty, it should be ten months, right? No. If they both confess, they get ten. they each get ten months. But typically you get a lowered sentence if you confess. Yeah, but in this case, they are both ratting each other out. Okay. And so they're... they're giving way more shit, and then it's way worse in, in okay. the end. Like, this is this is just for this example, right? Okay. And it, exactly, this is this is why I mentioned in the beginning, like, this isn't really how it works. I get but you. But it, it gives you an idea. So, so with game theory, it's like, we actually know the answer to this. And it depends on the what the sentence is and these different things, right? But it's yeah. like, okay, what's the best thing to do? And this is where everybody says, everybody knows that you don't fucking snitch out your homie. <laughs> but the problem is, in this scenario, it's explicitly stated that that each prisoner cannot trust the other so it's like they're not homies yeah they just happen to be they're accomplices exactly they just happen to be showing people their dongs <laughs> in tandem but they're they not actually friends yeah. yeah they can't be trusted they can't they and can't, they can't be trusted <laughs> this guy's not a real dick dangler dick dangler I can't trust this man. Right. And actually... He's in it uh, for the money. I'm in it for the love actually, of the game. Actually, just to go back, you're, you're right. I did, I did set this up. I did set this up a little bit wrong. So, that, so the idea would be... Or wait. I think the idea is that... Oh, yeah. No, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. So if you, if you confess and you rat out the other person, they get 10 months and you get no, nothing. But if you both confess, you'll get five. Yes, that each. sounds, that sounds right. It's supposed or, yeah, to be, so, it's supposed to be if you rat out the other person, you get off better. But if you both rat each other out, it it's like a little different. Like, yeah, so here's the deal. I'll, I'll just restart because I got a little mixed up. So if neither confess, they each get two months. If one confesses, they get off for free, and the other gets five. Or, sorry, the other gets ten. Yeah. And if they both confess, then they'll each get five. Yeah. Right? And the interesting thing about this is, like, from a game theory perspective, the... Okay, and and here's here's the rub. Like here's here's the whole point of this. So so from a game theory perspective, they should both confess. And the reasoning behind this and you think like, "Wait, but it's better if they both don't confess. If they just both yeah. 
keep their mouths shut. They'll both get two months and then they're out, right? But the thing about this is it's in this situation, this is considered to be a competitive, a non-cooperative game. Yeah. And so they don't so trust each other. They don't trust each other. This isn't you and, and so, me. You and me would be but zoop. Yes. So the deal is and this is where game theory is like really valuable, I think, is basically it's like, okay, so we need to act in the way that gives us the best possible outcome, regardless of what our opponent decides to do. Yeah. That is called a strictly dominant strategy. When you have found a solution that gives you the best possible outcome, regardless of what your opponent decides to do. So if you go, I'm going to fucking confess no matter what, your yeah. chances are I either get nothing or I get five months. Yeah. Right? So the average of that is two and a half months. Yeah. Whereas if, if you don't if go, confess, you either get two or you get ten. Exactly. And the average of that is six months. So at the end of the day, unfortunately, I mean, but this is, and this is where it becomes very interesting, right? Because this is a very simplified thing where it's like, I don't fucking trust the guy, right? It gets a lot more complicated when you have social bonds and when you have what mindset are these characters, are these prisoners in? Yeah, if it are was me and you, scarcity or are I'd, they in abundance? I'd keep my mouth shut. I'd say, you know what? I trust my boy to understand yeah. the good the good method. Right. Or, or so, was, and that takes trust. Or if it was Will, because you know, Omerta, ride or die. But uh, that's right. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it's it really like it, what you're saying is is a really important thing because what people don't understand about this is that it comes down to a matter of like statistics math and the understanding of probabilities exactly and oftentimes and this is what i love about what you're highlighting here oftentimes the obvious solution is not the quote-unquote correct solution or the best solution based on your desired outcome. That's the right. wacky thing that people really don't understand. Exactly. So that's why I think game theory is so valuable because it gives us a framework to where we can we can be proactive and we can be rational about how we approach these different games and we can understand what game are we playing actually. Yeah. I wanted to highlight one more that I think is just hilarious. Uh, I'm going to just go with what it's called and go with the example because I think it's really funny. And it's so, like, outdated with what's going on in the modern the modern era these last couple years. Like, this example is just so incredibly outdated, but I think it's just hilarious. So I'm just going to go with it anyways. And if this triggers you, then uh, you're welcome for an opportunity. Why you always got to gotta trigger explore. our audience, Hank? 
Dude, I'm just trying to help our audience grow because anytime we're being triggered, we know that there's an opportunity. There's something within us that we are not fully accepting. All right. Here I'm we going go. To withhold judgment. <laughs> so this one is called The Battle of the Sexes. Oh God. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, run away right now. You're going to monologue the last 30 30 minutes of this episode. Yeah, I shouldn't even be saying this because we're we're about to get canceled real quick here. But no, I I think it's... if you cancel us. (laughs) You get us canceled. I just just think it's a funny, funny example. And, like, for anyone who gets all butthurt about this, like, just insert whatever term you want. Like, it can just be friends or whatever. It doesn't doesn't matter. It's, it's, It's about the the game and in this you know whoever whatever old dude like named this thing it's called battle of the sexes it's it's kind of funny so here's the deal here's the setup so you're going you have decided to go out on a date with your lady right she already problematic but okay. <laughs> Already problematic. Your lady? I mean, <laughs> no, I, like, whatever. <laughs> you're, you, and, you and your girlfriend have decided that you're going to go on a date together because you like spending time together. Better. And, and you want to go to the fucking baseball game because you're a, you're a boring American fucking basic Fuck you. Dude, Did you just who, look at our Instagram or something? We had a great time at the at the ball game, okay? It was Father's Son. It was Father's Day. Why you got to pick on me about this? Oh, it's actually hilarious because I completely forgot about that. And this example, like the example that I found is literally like the ball game is the man's choice. <laughs> so that's actually hilarious. Um, so, but here's the deal. So you decided that you wanted to go to the ball game she decided that she actually wanted to go to the opera and and you you spoke about it and you you guys came to a compromise but neither of you can remember what it was (laughs) and you are both in different places and you have no way of contacting each other because Nate, you forgot to charge your phone, and it's dead. So you need to figure out where to go because they both start at the same time. And the funny thing about this is, like, it uses (laughs) it uses this matrix where, like, you have to figure out what each person's enjoyment (laughs) will be of the various options depending on who shows up where right so there's, so there's like four different possibilities I, as a man as 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 the male in this particular situation i can tell you fellas you go to the opera and if, <laughs> if you go to the opera you go to the place that the woman wants to go and if if it happened to be that you compromise in a different direction, you say, I'm sorry, 
I must have forgot because I, in my mind I thought that we were going to go to, you don't say this, the place you wanted to go. You you always default <laughs> to the woman's preference. Right. So and that is a sexist way to say, to say it, but I, I I'm I'm just saying like as as from, from like like the masculine feminine dichotomy default to the woman's so, preference that is that is the way to go so here's the deal this is actually very interesting because it pertains to the way that we find the optimal solution for this and it and it's related to each person's enjoyment level of the possible solutions yes okay so so like in your case like the the advice that you're giving and i and i i lean towards what you're saying as well but i think it's because we don't have that strong of a preference personally i'd probably rather go to an opera than a ball game so i mean it's yeah so that's completely for me yeah it completely debunks the whole thing but like in this case it's very specific like okay Here's the deal. We'll we'll lay it out. So, like, so if you both show up to the play, let's say Alex gets a six in her enjoyment level, and you get a three. Okay. Out of ten. If, I think we. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it's. Bit, I'm, I'm just kidding. Go on. I don't know what it's out of. Maybe it's out of six. Who knows. Uh, and I, I actually, I didn't take the time to find like, okay, what's the optimal solution here. Right. But, uh, we already know the optimal solution for us because, uh, but yeah, so then it's like, okay, well, let's say you go to the ball game. She goes to the opera. Maybe you both get like a two. It's not quite as fun without, without your partner. It's more fun when they're along. Let's say you go to the opera. She goes to the ball game. Zeros, zeros. You're like, fuck. (laughs) Uh, and then the last option would be uh, the one where you both show up to the ball game. You get you enjoy it a lot. She enjoys it less, right? And like so, so this is the thing here is like again, you, there's there's math here that's like there is an optimal solution here, and uh, it's it's just very interesting. Like to me, just just to. And you don't have to go through the maths on this. You don't have to go and, and go, hmm, I wonder, like, oh, hey, B, like, what would be your overall enjoyment of this if I was there and if I wasn't there? You know, like, it's it's more of a subjective thing, but I I do think that it's it's really valuable. And not just, like, in this thing where it's like, oh, you can't communicate, but just in your own thing, like, if you if you run into an issue like this where you're disagreeing on where to go or what to do it's like just take a little bit of time to think about this and like okay what how much would i enjoy doing this yes and so how much would they enjoy doing this and it's not just actually, your girlfriend it's it's your parents your friends your whatever right i have a slightly more relatable I'm, i apologize hank for the the slight dig but i have a slightly more relatable example of this that i think i can go through briefly um so say you have five friends with you um doesn't matter who they are significant others friends whatever and you have 
three different fast food restaurants available to you to go eat at. And say that one of them is your favorite and one other person's favorite and the other three people are okay with it. The second choice, you despise, one other person despises, one person it's their favorite and the other two people are okay with it. The third choice, one person despises, one person is, it's their favorite and the other three are okay with it. The first choice is going to be the best choice because it has the most people who are either in really like it or are okay with it. Whereas yeah, the so other ones have, they have more negative consequences to them than the first one. And, and just like you were saying, like I've actually used this with Alex that we're like, Okay, we, we, are, you, are you down with this? Are you down with that? Like, we, would you like that? Like, yeah, I would like that. Like, my favorite choice might be wings, but you really don't want wings. But my second favorite or my second favorite choice might be steak and potatoes. And she's okay with steak and potatoes. Her favorite choice is sushi. I also would really like sushi. So, okay, well, let's do sushi because... I would like sushi, and it's really what she wants, whereas steak and potatoes, she's kind of meh, uh, and she really doesn't want wings. So it's like... Yeah, so... It's, it's, like a, it's, it's like a way to categorize what you're looking at wanting to do in a more nuanced way, rather than yeah, just, exactly. meh, I like that, I don't like that. Yeah, exactly. So it's... it's and, you know, the examples you gave don't really require this type of like mathematical approach where you but but also at the same time like that's a little more applicable to a normal person that's why exactly so so that's the thing is like it depends on the situation right like you're not going to bust out a paper and pen to figure out where you're going to eat but it's like to me it's it's more about the like you're saying, like just 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 zooming out a little bit and taking it on a more abstract level and just like, okay, what's the thing where like nobody is having a zero enjoyment, right? Yeah. Because it's like better that we all have like a lukewarm time than like one person is stoked and one person is like just completely fucking pissed off. Yeah. Can we figure out a situation where we're all together enjoying it. You, you, you really just hit the nail on the head. And I think that that spreads to a lot of my economic theories too in modern societies of like, um, and this, is, I won't get too much into that because it will get into a very much liberal versus conservative, left versus right, red versus blue um, type of thing. But it comes down to, in my mind of, is there a way we can structure society where there's not so many winners and losers where society is geared more towards supporting the general um, people? And yes, there are people who have more success than other people because there's people who are willing to work harder than other people. There's just no way around that. 
I'm not willing to work as hard as a lot of people out there. Does that mean that I should not be able to have food? <laughs> no. But does that also mean that somebody who works twice as hard as me should get the exact same amount as me? No, that's not that's not at all how it should work. So I think that there is there is a middle ground, there's a balance to be had in, in the game that we're playing where everybody can be having a good time, but there's also room for effort and um, striving and discipline to um, give you a better spot over somebody who's not willing to go through those pains to do it. Because that is, a, 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 I, th I think, a, a fundamental part of societal advancement. So yeah, it's, it's like you got to let people choose what is valuable, right? Yeah. It's like if money is the most valuable thing to you, then you should be able to work your fucking ass off, work 80 hours a week and make a bunch of money. Like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Why not? Maybe family is more important to you. Maybe your health is more important to you. Maybe free time is more important. Whatever. Like, yeah. um. I think we should be playing the game of human happiness and contentment. Yeah, and and again, like, and I mean, it's almost like the difference between, I mean, it, there there definitely is something here with, again, like, not to go into this political thing, but like, when I hear the kind of rhetoric that is used, and we're talking in the U.S. specifically like conservative people are i hear competition is like a yeah. huge part of the rhetoric yeah and when it comes to progressives it's about cooperation and that's like and you know that's so it's not strictly and and and, and there's there definitely is a connection here with with scarcity and abundance but like just yeah. because we're talking about co-op being cooperative doesn't mean that that's actually the game that we're playing right and that's what's really interesting is like the games we're playing many 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 different games at yeah. once and so it's not as easy as what we like monkey say monkey do like yeah we... it's not as easy as oh we're going to play the cooperation game instead of the competitive game we're playing both on many different levels exactly and they're both they both exist in nature like there is competition in nature and there's cooperation in nature that's just from what i from what i can see the people who say that like one or the other is the only thing that exists like that whole the whole kind of um neo-darwinian <laughs> uh like winner take all kind of thing oh yeah is that's just, nonsense w and like that's not even what he was it's to me it's like a misunderstanding of what he no no darwin actually what specifically he discovered. highlighted the cooperation of nature yeah so to me it's just like a complete misunderstanding of his yeah overall body of work and a hyper focus and bias on like one specific aspect of his work yeah uh so to me it's like it's just it's obvious 
that both exist. It's obvious that we are living in a um, in a non-dual <laughs> existence. <laughs> yes, in a nuanced that world. Human humans live indeed. in a nuanced world. You know, we're if you're a if you're a fly, if you're a crane fly, uh, your your world isn't. Why you super keep on looking nuanced. down on on crane flies, bro? I uh, I'm using them because I love crane flies. Um, they're like giant innocent mosquitoes. They look like giant mosquitoes, but they don't bite you. I love crane mm. flies. I'm not looking down on them. I'm using them as an example in my. Ad- admiration of the beauty of, of nature. Your superiority. <laughs> yes, my human superiority. But because uh, I would love to be a crane That's what fly, it sounds because like. their lives are uncomplicated. If you're a crane fly, you don't have to worry about the nuances of credit scores and shit. <laughs> that is for sure. That is definitely so, the case. But yeah, when you're a human, you there's there's many nuances. I mean, I. Y- Regardless of how progressive you are, sometimes you're going to be in a job interview and you're going to be with eight other candidates and one of you is getting the job. And you're you're not going to use that interview to tear down the other candidates, but you're also not going to use that interview to talk up the other candidates. You're going to use that interview to present yourself in a way that she says, I deserve the job over these seven other people. Yeah, and that's an example. Sometimes of there's a... no way around that particular way that that our society that we live in works. Exactly. I mean, that's that's kind of an example of a zero sum game. That's like yes. one person gets the job and everyone else doesn't get the job. Which and I actually if you wanna... have done before. Yeah. Good, good on you. Cause... I've been in an interview with twelve other people that I got the job, and I swear to God, it was just because I wore nice clothes. But yeah, <laughs> it, like everybody else There's in the job looked like for, they were homeless. There. No, it, was, it, it wasn't like some stupid job. This was for uh, Solar City for now Tesla Energy for a solar installation job. It was like a solid job, and these guys came in with like a like fucking unshaven, looking fucking crazy. And yeah, I was like, "Oh man, I'm I'm getting it just based on the fact that I'm wearing a collared shirt." No doubt, yeah, dude. It's called blue collar for a reason. Yeah. Put on that fucking <laughs> collared shirt when you do your interview. Yeah, their collars are blue from it being a Canadian tuxedo. It's but... actually super weird when you if you stop to think about these things. It's just like what? Such a such a strange cultural norm, like. Put on this noose. Yes. And then yes. we'll we'll think that you're high of higher value. Like Well, and there's no doubt in my mind that there would have there's other people in that room who would have done my job just as, if not better than I did. Like I'm not right. some whiz at solar installation. I'm not some crazy hard worker. There's probably a dude in that room who would have worked way harder than me, who would have been a better worker. <laughs> but he didn't. But he had on that collared shirt. I had on a fucking collared shirt, and I knew how to talk. And, you know, it's it's a weird game we're playing. 
it's Indeed. a really weird game we're playing and that's that's one of the many reasons why i'm such an advocate of like let's get into more of a cooperative game because i've met so many people like that who just like they're not they're not they don't fit in so well to your typical depiction of this is the way that a solid worker is supposed to look but they're a fucking solid worker and they just yeah. you know they they have this quirk or that quirk but you know this is um this i actually do think that this translates well into our next and final topic which we're going to have to get through a little bit quickly but that's okay yeah so we're we're going to drop into ancestral lifestyle here and you know human history we ha- we have had a rich and interesting history and <laughs> a rich and interesting I almost, history I almost, okay I almost david attenborough <laughs> i almost lost it and many people like to focus in on one of the aspects many people like to focus in on the competitive nature of humans how okay. we may have snuffed out competing humanoids in the neanderthal species because we're so great and how we have waged war and ruthlessly raped murdered and destroyed all in our path for the sake of ideology for the sake of play to propagating dna what have you others prefer to look at the more um cooperative side of humans the way that we've banded together the way that we have been able to settle stay in places for longer with the advent of ad agriculture the way that we've been able to specialize and all the way up to the modern era where we live in a world where people can do nothing but play video games and make a living on that tis a true golden age <laughs> and it's funny that we objectively live in a time with more abundance more access to resources and than ever than ever before and this is on average we also unfortunately have a severe mismatch in the way uh, that we are distributing resources it's completely and utterly fucked up how much we're wasting and how many people are living in scarcity due to our misuse of this abundance yes but there is more than enough food and water for every single being on this planet yes that is indisputable and one of the things that I wanted to mention (laughs) now that we have that out of the way I wanted to make a little connection here because 
you mentioned earlier, and you know, I think we can all agree that we're living in a time of unbelievable abundance, and yet it could be argued that we have never collectively been in a more scarce mindset. I would agree. We don't really know this, but on a global scale, perhaps. And I think there's a connection here. I think there's a connection. One of the things that I've uh, stumbled upon in my research has been the, the study of epigenetics and the way in which our environment affects our DNA. Um, th basically, we have we have switches. Our DNA. Um, it you can think of it as we have all these different switches, and environmental factors can turn off and on certain gene expressions. And this is what I mentioned earlier. Uh, they they did a study on lab rats poor fucks they took a population of rats and they just starved them okay they start they they starved them for I, I i don't know the exact amount of time but they they were chronically starving and what they found is generations later like Multiple generations later, four to seven generations later, down the line, the ancestors of that population of rats were significantly more likely to be obese. And basically the mechanism behind this is it's related to, epi to epigenes. And yes. essentially in my very cursory layman understanding the chronic scarcity of food the starvation switched a gene expression that caused that generation and subsequent generations because these genes are passed down to behave in a way where they essentially they're in scarcity any time yes they saw food they were going to eat as much of it as possible at all costs yes so they showed aggressive behavior towards other rats and they were basically gluttonous anytime there was food they would eat as much as they could possibly stuff yes okay and so by the way think about your your great great grandparents in the depression if you live in the United States, or even if you want to go back, think about the bubonic plague, the um, extreme famines that have happened in Europe and Russia, the um, collapses that have gone on in Asia and Africa and South America. So these epigenetic triggers you know, we think of those situations as, oh, that was that was a thousand years ago. Well, guess what? A thousand years is like, what, 15 generations? 
20 generations. It's not that many whenever you're looking at a genetic model of things. And not only that, Nate, I really like that you bring all this stuff up because I absolutely agree that there can be... If, if that hasn't been switched the other way, then it's still in that state. But we don't even have to go that far back because where I was going with this is World War Two. World War Two, yeah. World War Two, dude. Imagine, imagine how many fucking people were affected by that conflict, and how many people were living in chronic fear and scarcity. Yeah. We have not healed from that. No. By any means, even obviously the people who lived through it not even close us not even close my like it's this stuff is and think about think about this in the context of african americans you know this is one thing that people don't like to talk about with in the race conversation in america because they want to point to like concrete examples of like oh well this is how the economic situation in the 1940s has affected somebody who was um who was born from that person and and lives in this day how about just this what you're talking about here how about the epigenetic factors that go into hundreds of years of slavery and now, okay, you've been yep. free for 50 years, 60 years maybe, like fully free and, and capable of making your own decisions and desegregated for 50 or 60 years. Yeah, the, that, that particular, um, uh, all of the, the genetics that that triggered, they're going to be alive and well for many generations to come. And, you know, to say that, oh, yeah, it's done because now that's over with and we're moving forward. No, this is this is a momentum. This is an inertia that carries these things forward many, many years, many decades longer than the situation that caused it. Absolutely. And one thing that I am fascinated by is our capacity to flip those switches because we know uh, there are various practices that can affect our epigenes. There, are, there's um, therapies, yeah, different shamanic practices, uh, all kinds of different stuff, environmental factors that that affect. So, like, it's not it's not only the negative. Right, it's not only things yeah. that are switching on or off in the negative sense, right? Like there's always the other end of the coin, and so to me, like that's what's fascinating is that you know, regardless of whether or not we've known about these mechanisms, we have practices in place which serve to flip those switches back to their rightful place i would say and when i say rightful i mean 
this place of abundance. This place right? is this, going to lead us to the most most happy and healthy state yes, of well being body. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's it. Kind of goes back to our our thing with with the great merge, where we're finding all of these connections between the world of science and the world of mysticism and how something that seemed so incompatible are actually kind of driving us towards the same um the same end yeah hopefully yeah and you know the last thing i wanted to say in this particular segment is is to reiterate something that we've said a lot in the podcast but as i've I, I said before i think it's important sometimes to uh restate certain points and it's that we're designed to be in this state of abundance most of the time we are and by designed you know you, i i'm a more spiritual religious person so you know I, I i ascribe meaning to the universe but you don't you don't have to use that that framework you can also say evolved it works the exact same way we are designed and or evolved to work in a system where we are cooperative with a, another group of humans or, or with a a group of humans that are around us and th- we the reason why we took over this planet the way we did is because we were so good at cooperating with each other and we yep. and through that cooperation we were able to accomplish anything essentially and like that is what gives humans their power our ability to cooperate you know i've we've talked about you know bonobos and chimpanzees and different um species that are closely related to humans um but if you look at those species even even bonobos which are extremely cooperative it's nothing compared to the cooperative ability of humans i mean humans to me like our ability to work together to make something bigger than ourselves is one of if not the most interesting aspect of our being and it's what's allowed us to create societies, buildings, fucking rockets that go to other planets. This podcast. A- this podcast. <laughs> it's what's allowed us to create everything that we find interesting now. And, you know, there's, there's of course, there's people could argue there's a co- competition aspect in there. But the only reason that that competition between each other exists is because of the foundational framework that cooperation has given us to form a human societal structure. So without the cooperation with each other, the competition, all it does is tear us apart and hurt us. So we're, the, co- the competition is a tool that we use within this cooperative framework in order to determine the best people for certain roles. That's the best outcome for it. But you should never think of the competition as the point 
or as the source of our abilities as a species. It always comes from a place of cooperation and a place of collaboration. And that's my last, last little bit to say on the subject. Well, what do you think, dear listener? I'm sure some of you disagree vehemently. And you know what? We don't shy away from disagreements here on Casual Cognition. In fact... Debate me, bitch! We want to hear from you. I, we would love to hear anyone who thinks differently. Or, agree, I mean, agreeing's cool, too. We're down with whatever. It's, it's dialogue. We're trying to learn here. Yo, thanks for tuning in. Peace out. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. That's it. We sure do hope that you enjoyed this episode number 40. Pretty crazy. Come, come a long way. Anyways, feel free to hit us up. We've got the various social media stuff, Instagram, Twitter. Um, yeah, you know, we, we want to know how you're doing. Let us know. Have a great morning, day, evening, witching hour, whatever time it happens to be for you. We love you, and we sincerely appreciate your attention and support. <laughs>